Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And as we begin, oftentimes the first two readings of a Sunday will kind of set the stage. And that's what we have today for sure. The first reading being only two verses from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, you might remember, predominantly written by um, King Solomon and given to us as divine guidance for living a Christian life. And more than that, more than just divine guidance, also divine guidance that prompts us to think and to, to talk about and discuss these topics together. It's in a category of what we call wisdom literature of the Old Testament, much like the book of Job or the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Proverbs isn't just to read it and pass by, but it's something to consider together. And it's also a set of, of general truths. But then it's up to the Christian to think these things through and see how they apply to our lives. And the specific reading from the book of Proverbs today is, the, is what Jesus quoted in our gospel lesson. And what he talked about in our gospel lesson. Jesus, of course, the, the author of all of scripture, quoting freely from what he had learned in his youth in his study of that same scripture. But he's not just talking about banquets and parties and social gatherings. There's a little bit more going on here. Because what he reveals for us is something that typically goes beyond our perception. If we were to put a word on it for at least a discussion, that word would be pride. Pride beyond our perception is what he shows for us today. The pride beyond our perception. We understand what pride looks like. We see the, the people who might be on TV. We see the athletes who want to make sure that the opponent knows that who's really in charge and who really just scored the last touchdown and who is America's team. We see the pride of, of people around us of what is accomplished and what is not accomplished. And it would be very simple to just dismiss it and say, well, that's not me. That's not the way that a Christian lives. Or even to see what Jesus says here about the upper place and the lower place and to say, oh, well, if I really want to get ahead and if I really want to have the same sort of attitude, then I'll just you know, start out by picking the lower place all the time. But if we just see this as simple guidance for a dinner party, then we miss the diagnosis that Jesus provides for us. Because it's not just the pride, but it's everything that goes along with it. The pride is really this idea, this attitude that says, I know what I want, and I know what I deserve. And when that connects with or collides with the law of God, it kind of goes a little bit further. Not just, I know what I want and I know what I deserve, but when I don't act in line with God's word, then I have my reasons. Because it was just, I don't know, a difficult day. I have my reasons because I've been through a lot. When I don't act in line with the word of God, I've got my reasons for acting the way that I do for saying what I did. 
for thinking what I thought. Because that, that window of pride, as Jesus diagnoses it for us today, shows us that pride isn't just the sin in and of itself, but it's the sinful flesh beyond our perception. Beyond our perception. That sinful flesh that goes so deeply into us that you and I can't even, can't really diagnose why we do what we do. Sure enough, I I know the reasons why, at least the reasons that I want others to believe. I know the reasons why I want, I do what I do, and the reasons that I want others to believe why I do what I do. I want to make sure that, that my image is one of, I don't know, professional competence, I want to make sure that my image is that of somebody who is loving and generous and kind. And it doesn't take too much effort to keep up that appearance. But when Jesus diagnoses this pride beyond our perception, what he's really getting to is that within you and me is this this voice and this cancer, one might even say that tries to distort what we do for reasons of why we do it. This voice within us that says, well, I don't deserve that, and this is what I ought to have. The voice within us that, that looks at the sin and the failure of the past and say, well, um, in my case, in my case, I was the victim, and in my case, it was somebody else that took advantage of me. But it's the same voice that says, the reason that person is where they are, well, that was their series of bad choices. That was their own personal sin. That was their fault. (laughs) Thank God that I'm not like that. And it doesn't take too much before we even begin to take pride in, in our humility. I thank God that I'm not like that Pharisee standing up and, um, and proclaiming how good he is. And I thank God that I'm not like that person that I see on, on television who is always, always applauded for what they do. And I thank God that, that I even live the life that I have so that I, I don't take confidence in what I have and so that I don't get wrapped up in what I've done. That question of pride gives us a window to the sinful flesh that is normally beyond our perception. But through and through, that sinful flesh wants to distort every blessing from God and assert myself as either most important or the only one with an excuse why. And so Jesus says, Yes, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And he had that parable about moving up to a higher place and sitting down at the lower place. And what he's getting at is, isn't just the specific sin that he had seen, but the overarching attitude that is the difference in the Christian life. The attitude of the Christian life that is different from every single attitude that you might see in the world around us. That for the Christian, the attitude in your life and mine 
takes place and is seen perhaps most clearly only in that internal struggle. That internal struggle where my sinful flesh says, this is what I want, and this is the recognition that I need. My sinful flesh that says, I have accomplished something and I finally arrived. And the humility, the humility as a fruit of God's work within you and me that recognizes what I have, all of it, is only a gift. That, that even, if, even if God has blessed me in any particular way with abilities or talents, those aren't natural gifts that, that I have developed on my own, but God is the one who has given me the opportunity to develop that. And it's that, that push and pull between the sinful flesh always wanting to say it's about me and what I want on my schedule and the pull of the Christian heart that says it's not really about me. And it's almost frustrating where even Paul himself says that exact same thing, that what he wants to do, he doesn't do. What he doesn't want to do, he keeps on doing. That if we start talking about pride as a window into our sinful flesh. You could just chase that all day long and never catch it. Because the pride (laughs) morphs into something else. Or it begins to take pride in its lowliness. And it's just, how in the world can I have any good and proper motivation in my life? How can I say and do something in in a pure way where I'm doing it purely out of the love of God that he has given to me and the love for another that he has given within me? And that's where the parable goes, where Jesus isn't just concerned about the external actions and the seating chart at that banquet, but he's more concerned about the attitude, the attitude that is unique among believers and that is not seen apart from Christians. And that is that attitude that says, it doesn't depend on me to make up the difference. And the way that he describes it in that parable about taking the upper place and the lower place, that the person attending the banquet in this parable can sit wherever he wants or sit wherever she wants, but it's the host who provides the seating. It's the host who provides the banquet. And if you were to keep reading in in Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes on with another parable about this banquet where the host is so generous that, that he goes out to all the laneways, inviting the lame and the blind when those who had been invited said, I can't make it today, that the image that we have of pride here providing for us a little bit of insight into the attitude. That that pride, yes, it goes beyond our perception, but Jesus has demonstrated a humility that goes beyond our expectation. And not just to say, okay, well, be humble, have a good day. He didn't just demonstrate this but he lived it and he lived it 
where he, for that period of time from his incarnation through his death, he purposely refrained from using his divine power, glory, and honor. That Jesus purposely hid his glory. That the same God who was there at the top of Mount Sinai and had the people quaking with fear is the same God who was placed in the manger and who the shepherds came to worship. And Jesus had this attitude of such humility that it takes a while to wrap our heads around it, where he refrained from using his divine power, glory, and honor for that period of time to such an extent that he went beyond what you or I would even allow. That's the way that Paul describes it in um, Philippians chapter 2, that even though Jesus is in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto. That is to say, he did not walk about his everyday life demonstrating the fact that he was God in, in miracles and in his glory all the time, but that he chose to hide it. He didn't consider this equality with God something to be held onto, but he made himself nothing. He, in a sense, emptied himself, taking on the very form of a servant and being found in obedience to all of God's law. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That the issue here isn't, isn't some moral, simple moral guidance on pride and humility. But the bigger issue is that when Jesus gives this parable, that he's showing the attitude of those people. And he's even diagnosing that attitude that creeps into every Christian life out of the sin that still lives within. But he goes on from there. He goes on from there to demonstrate his generosity to you and to me. That even though he has angels singing his praise for all eternity. Instead, he chose to, in a sense, take the lowest, sp lowest space, the lowest spot. And he chose to walk the path to the cross. And he chose to lay down his life for you and for me so that, so that you and I can have an eternal spot at his banquet in heaven. That when Jesus does these things, and we understand our sinful flesh always asserting either overtly or subtly, our sinful flesh saying what I need and what I want is what I ought to be doing right now. And Jesus, instead bowing his head and refraining from using his divine power for his own good, he bowed his head to what God said in order to lay down his life for you and for me. And you hear that, and you just kind of shake your head. Like, I'll give up my seat at the table. That's fine. I'll go sit in the back. But arrest me and put me on trial in a sham of a trial, and then not just lock me up for 15, 20 years, but um, send me to death row and take care of it within three days, two days? No thanks. But that's what Jesus did. And when he tells us this parable, he's not just diagnosing the external sin, but he's showing the internal attitude. And most of all, he wants you and me to rejoice in his attitude. Rejoice in his attitude where he said, and he demonstrated humility beyond expectation, 
where we might expect God to come and, and do something for us. <laughs> That's what my sinful flesh says. I want God to do it for me right now and right here. But Jesus sweeps that aside and he says, I've got something better. And he hides his glory, not coming there to impress the Pharisees and impress this Pharisee with some overt display of power and healing or miracles right then and there. But he comes to hide his glory in such a way that he will take care of your greatest need, which isn't the the need for a seat at a meal, but a seat in heaven. Because that's how this Jesus has chosen to work, where he continually and consistently hides his glory, where he continually and consistently isn't just concerned about external actions, but the internal attitude and the source of that internal sin, where Jesus continually and consistently carried your sin and mine and paid its price, He carried what you and I don't even want to admit as sin and paid a price that we would be repulsed at. And he declares this to you and to me. Dear friend, you have a spot at the banquet. You have a spot at this banquet given by our Lord. And you have the riches of his grace given to you regularly in a way that you can taste and touch so that, so that as you go about your life, that sort of attitude can characterize your life as well, where you and I don't have to be thinking through things the way that the world does and looking for making sure that, um, making sure that we get what's coming to us. But that attitude that says, I can just live my life. And if God is glorified in what I do or what I don't do, all the better. I can just live my life and and let that love of Jesus characterize my life. That same sort of humility. Because this Jesus has brought you into a new relationship where we don't have to sit there like accountants to make sure that, that we get what's coming to us and that everything is all fair. Because Jesus did the most unfair thing of all by laying down his life. And now... His grace says, dear friend, you're free and you have a space at the table. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about how things will work out in this life. And you don't have to worry about making sure that you'll get what's coming to you. Because you have a Lord who has paid attention to you individually and personally from eternity. You have a Lord who has paid attention to you and who is thinking of you when he refrained from using his power to come down from that cross. You have a Lord who is thinking of you individually and personally. And he still comes to you individually and personally in the exact same way that his life was characterized. He hides himself. And he hides his glory. And he gives you the riches of his glory. The reassurance and the reality of your forgiveness and the reassurance that you aren't missing out on anything. That even if you were to throw a banquet for the lame and the blind, you aren't missing out on anything. Even if somebody else gets the promotion and you never do, you aren't missing out on anything. Because this Jesus has promised you everything. This Jesus has promised you not just 
not just getting paid back, but this Jesus has promised you that you don't belong in a world that only calculates what it can get. That you haven't been made to live in a world that only goes by a series of favors and favors returned. But that through his work and his giving you forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, he has prepared you for a greater banquet. And he has prepared you for more of a life. A life that, that he himself has promised to host and that he himself gives to you individually and personally. Because when you think about it, what are the reasons that, that might create dissatisfaction in a person's life? They don't, they don't have what they had thought and had expected. That I had hoped things would be different by this point. That somehow I've been overlooked and somebody isn't paying attention to me the way that I think that I needed it. That could create a lot of dissatisfaction, and that's, you know, frankly, everything that you see in every advertisement ever. Trying to create some sort of dissatisfaction in order that you try to fix that dissatisfaction with their product. And Jesus sweeps that aside and says, Dear friend, do you see what your Lord has given to you? Not just forgiveness of sins as this one-time event, but as the ongoing reality. This, this bottomless pit, this bottomless well of God's grace, where he has promised to pay attention to you and has promised to, um, to dwell within you individually and personally. And if there were any doubt, then come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. That, yes, he'll bring you to the eternal banquet, but the banquet now. Where this Jesus, he purposely chose the, the lowest place so that he could give you the highest place, a seat at, at God's own table. He purposely chose the lowest place so that you would be able to stand in his presence and say, my Lord has brought me here. That he is the one who diagnosed, yes, my pride beyond my perception and really the sinful flesh, but even more so in demonstrating this humility beyond every expectation, he has given me a place and he's given me a life that is different. And he's given me a place and a life that is not one of parsing out favors and promises, but a life of just humbly receiving exactly what he has promised to you and to me. That same forgiveness of sins, life and salvation from a God who has paid attention to you, who has provided for you, and who has demonstrated his love for you. And in this Jesus' name, amen.